This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Let me tell you a funny story. I was at Angel of Harlem last night drinking lots and lots of whiskey because they did not have Hennessy because they are not American and they do not love American people. And just as as I had rejected a woman who invited me to come have a sip of Hennessy in her apartment that costs $2,700 a month, I should have reconsidered that and got my rent paid. I did not. I said to myself, oh, yeah, I have a show tomorrow. I told Marilyn about it. She goes, why didn't you go? We could have got some (laughs) She's she's like, I would have come with you. That's right. That's why I'm going to marry the crap out of her and she can't even stop me. But like 40 years from now, no time soon. That's right. Marilyn's (laughs) my buddy when I want to go to to, uh, Popeye's (laughs) at 2 in the morning. Oh, it's a Popeye's. Why do you you need Popeye's at 2 in the morning, Alyssa? Because Popeye's is good at 2 in the morning. They got the fight out of the box right now. You got a problem with that? You going to let people eat my spicy chicken again? All right, Alyssa. You know what? You have to forgive me for that (laughs) already. Some clear issues that maybe we need to work out. I've had way too much Popeye's this year. I really have. I have had more Popeye's this year than I've ever had in my entire life. It used to be like a once every four months kind of thing. And it was like, yay, there's Popeye's. But now it's like, all right, I guess it's time for some Popeye's. You know what else I've had too much of? The presidential debates. When it first happened, it was fun. It was like, yay, Hillary, Bernie, and that other guy are there to talk about politics. Hillary says stuff. Bernie screams. And then everyone walks away. But then about 17 debates later that were never aired on basic television. So people who don't have cable could never actually watch them. So you're not Mm -hmm. really communicating to the full voter base. I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of Popeye's. Just kidding. You never get tired of Popeye's. (laughs) Especially that good biscuit with that juicy piece of spicy breast that I ate and did not save for Alyssa. You never get tired of Popeye's. But the debate, you do get tired of until, and this is very important. I was in my house sipping Hennessy with apple juice in the block. We call it applesauce. Selena wouldn't know about that life because she refuses to touch the black man's great elixir. And when my friend texted me, he said, hey, bruh, do you want to go to the debate? And I said, bruh, of course I do. And then I looked at my phone. I said, can you get me two tickets? He goes, yeah, why? I go, because my friend Selena's going to want to go. He goes, do you want two tickets? I said, no, give me one. I want to show off in her face. So I got those two tickets to front row. And when I got there, they put me in the back row because I wasn't good looking enough. But I did see Michael Skolnick and Rosario Dawson and Osu Minura and some other attractive people that Alyssa was getting phone numbers from. We will talk about that later. <laughs> And I saw, once again, another debate. And for the first time in about six debates, it was actually interesting. It was the rumble in Brooklyn between Hillary and Bernie with an unruly crowd of white people who all of a sudden got gully because they were in the Brooklyn Navy Yards. Uh-huh. Let me tell you, 15 years ago, you did not want to be in the Brooklyn Navy Yards. If you were white, you were not in the Brooklyn Navy Yards. Now, all of a sudden, they got these hipster glasses and artisanal condoms in the Brooklyn Navy Yards. <laughs> wait, wait. Let's talk about the porta potties for a second. In trailers. Those were the nicest porta potties. I want to take that to my house and put it in my actual bathroom. <laughs> I would take a nap in that porta potty. It was Ew. so clean. No, wow. I'm telling you, no, you have it not. A, it was a trailer, a movie trailer porta potty, like that celebrities use when they film a movie. It's like actually in a trailer, and it's a real bathroom. Wow, you guys had special yes. treatment. They had five fly toilet paper. Step your game up, Celia. Hey, I wasn't right? there because we're fly. But so. I digress. I digress. So besides me being handsome, using five ply toilet paper and talking to Rosario Dawson and telling her I loved her and kids, and she goes, "I don't have any kids." And I said, "No, kids, the movie you did." Oh and my god! And she was like, "Oh yeah, I did do that I'm movie." Sure. Yeah. Long time ago, I forgot she was, was in that. Yeah. She did so many yeah. other movies yeah, since Dan, then, like but that you couldn't think of at the moment. I can't tell you why I like her and kids. I'll tell you off air. But anyway, <laughs> 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 ain't, ain't I that know, nasty. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as I get back to the point, 
So we get to the debate, and all of a sudden, these unruly white folk who feel the power of Brooklyn because they've obviously evicted me and all the other poor black folk from this community so they can support Bernie Sanders and say, we don't get our fair share in wages and people are being pushed out, and Bernie Sanders loves black people, but we're the only people here at this debate supporting Bernie Sanders, and we are whiter than mayonnaise on mayonnaise sandwiches. <laughs> so I thought to myself, we should have a conversation about this on the show this Sunday. So today, we will talk about that debate. While Alyssa and I watched it live, Selena watched it on her OTV through BCAT while holding an antenna up to the screen <laughs> and praying that she would not lose reception. Very and Jackie, true. Jackie's a loser. She didn't watch it at all. You know what she was doing? Being a stupid loser. <gasps> and that's what she will always do. Wow. So today, we'll talk about that debate. We'll talk about the big bomb that Bernie Sanders dropped on Israel. Metaphorically. <laughs> metaphorically. Yeah, watch your... Yeah. All right. Wow. Gabby, listen. Yeah. <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> At least you added that in. I would have just said, yeah, he dropped the bomb. Like, yeah, well, I would have, I would not have added in. You know, Selena, because you're four foot nothing. That's why. Body. No. You see, you should always drag her, her height. But anyways, talking about Israel, and then we're going to talk about who we th- think won the debate. Because Bernie had some fans in that place, but so did Hillary. Right. A lot more than you think. Yep. So, guys, I don't want to talk your ears off anymore. What I want to get straight to is, Alyssa, did you have a freaking awesome time yeah, at the debate? Yeah, it was awesome. I oh. wish that you, I, w- I would have known that you were going to be, I would have saved you a seat next to me. There yeah. was a seat next to me the whole time. It was not taken. And then some guy just showed up, and he was like, hey, is that a single seat? And I was like, yeah. And... And that was the seat. And had I known that you were going to get put in the back, but yeah. it was also only one seat. You were with somebody, so like no, no, would, I no? was. Um, well, I was with um, Erica Garner. She sa- she stayed in the front, Great. and I went to the back, and we were just tweeting back and forth to each other. I know, no, but it was good. It was good. I uh, during the break, I was talking to Governor Cuomo and yes. Mayor De Blasio. You so, were, yeah, I was. They were in the front row. I just kind of moseyed my way up there. Oh, like, I, hey, how are you? How are you? And then I was like, hey, Mayor de Blasio, how you doing? And then he was like, oh, did you meet my wife, Charlene? So I was like, hey, what's up, Charlene? So it was nice. cool. Love her. Yeah. Wow. Did I tell you I ran into um, Stacey Washman Schultz, whatever her first name is? And I was Debbie. Like, Debbie. Debbie. Oh. I was like, hey, what about those payday loans? Yeah. And she was like, all right, have a good day. Uh, goodbye, <laughs> no, sir. I have the best picture of her giving side eye to somebody. Um, <laughs> we're gonna, we'll to we'll have to tweet that out. Yes. But like, so Alyssa and I were there. We want to share that story with you. But before we continue with all the great things we saw, um, I want you guys to that you can call in. The number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. Selena, how was the debate through BCAT? I loved it. I did have the antenna site, guys. I did watch it on a flat screen. Okay, upgrade for me. Yes, no, the debate was everything. Like, it was very lively. I mean, it was very contentious. Mm-hmm. So much animosity. Like, I almost felt like I was watching the GOP debate, especially when they were taking blows yeah. and going back and forth. It was really good. Loved it. My favorite part was when Hillary was like, oh, word, Bernie? What up, bitch? <laughs> and then, because you know Hillary's blood, right? I don't know She got what jumped she in did. a day before the debate, so I she can... <laughs> Get more black votes. I know. <laughs> she probably did. I can't. No, it was really good, though. What about Love you, it. Jackie? How was watching it in the Arby's? In an Arby's? Yes. Um, it was a spectacular experience. Their sandwiches are just... No, I actually didn't watch it live. I don't have cable. What you brought up is uh, it's sort of a huge barrier to be able to watch these. And I can stream it, sure, online, but it's a little bit difficult. Yeah. Um, I have a big old crack on my laptop screen right uh-huh. now, which is kind of sad. But I did read a lot of the commentary afterwards. I've listened to a lot of the clips that came out. Um, I thought, like you said, that this was definitely the most heated debate. It did sort of feel like more of a GOP-style debate. There was a lot of yelling. Um, And something that I noticed was that there was a lot of, and we talked about this a bit before off-air, a lot of cheering and jeering, I like that term, um, from people in the audience, which I thought was really interesting. It was definitely a, a rowdy group. 
you know what I will say about it. I w- I don't think it was so much like a Republican debate in like the name calling aspect. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like I think I think we should make that distinction, which was I think it was like a Republican debate in that it was sort of contentious yeah. and it was heated and there was a lot of fiery moments, but the fiery moments weren't about how big somebody's hands are or <laughs> right. like Your you know are. other things. Um they were about real policy issues. I mean like there was a heated back and forth about guns and about yeah. uh yeah. you know for example, and there was a heated back and forth about breaking up of the banks, for example. So, uh, yes, it was very heated, like the GOP debate, but not in the way that their debate is, because, like, they were actually debating policy, not like, you know, exactly. There was a lot of dodging. that matter. Well, I mean, yeah, they're politicians. All politicians do dodging. I mean, and a lot of that part of that has to do, (laughs) shouldn't say this, but as a lawyer, lawyers are like trained on like how to answer questions in a way that best suits them, right? do you love me? Uh, See, exactly. You know, you can see it. She did it. No, of course I do. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's like when when I sit down with clients, I always tell them if you're asked a yes or no question, but it doesn't really have a yes or no answer, like you don't answer yes or no, just give the answer you want to give. On the other hand, if you're asked to like explain something, like keep it simple, stupid, like there's ways to duck and dodge. And like those are the same kinds of things that politicians do all the time. Or deflect. Or deflect, right? So Hillary was asked about why she hasn't released the transcript from her speech right. and she turned that into why hasn't Bernie Sanders released his tax returns right. which uh, he did right. yesterday and there's nothing very right. spectacular about right. them <laughs> at all I mean like well, it's, it's answering the question you want tax. to be asked not the right. question that you actually were asked and they're very yeah. they're very good but, at that but I think CNN, CNN the moderators did an excellent job at really pinpointing those questions and they would just come back and say well you didn't answer the question right. this is what the question is and then Bernie Sanders on a number of occasions called out Hillary Clinton yes. for not um, answering the questions. He was like, no, you avoided the question. You're evading the question. This is the question. But he did that too multiple times. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm sure definitely. they did. But what was most notable for me, and of course I didn't watch the live debate, but mm-hmm. reading about it, <laughs> thank you, Stanley, um, was the question of Israel, which I know that we brought up earlier, right? Yes, and yes. and Bernie really called Hillary right. out on her statements about Israel and her sort of ideas about Israel and how she hasn't been really forthright and forthcoming about how she feels, and she still evaded the question. No, that's a really good point. And if we are going to talk about Israel. I want to pin it just for now, so okay. we're going to put it in the bike rack because it is bike season. Step your ride came up, Alyssa. I was riding yesterday. I rode you six see? miles yesterday. Did you ride? 20 miles. Wow. <laughs> always out to And the wait, gym. Side note, one time Stanley and I went on a ride. It's supposed to be this leisurely ride through Central Park. Stanley's like five miles ahead of me. Oh, I'm like, I thought we well, were having a leisurely right. ride. He yeah. thinks we're like racing a marathon over here. It was a really poor choice. I made. We went to Central Park on a 110th Street, and it's a really steep hill that I like to ride yeah, up. It's hard. And hill. like, but like, yeah. if you don't ride it on a regular, it is not fun at all. No, it's not. But <laughs> the slope is fun. But um, that's kind of how the debate was actually. There was a lot of punching. It was really going uphill right in the beginning. Hillary threw haymakers. Bernie dodged through an uppercut. Hillary went for the super kick. Bernie grabbed her foot, turned her around, hit it with a Stone Cold Stunner, put it down for the three count. She popped out at two, and she was like, "Hey." I don't got to give out my speeches. You're ugly and your mama breath stink. I think that she did a really good job during the first half of the debate, yeah, but he did a really good job during the second half of the debate. Mm-hmm. It was almost as though he picked up steam as the debate went on. I would challenge that just a bit because I do think he did. I, I, I agree, like partially, that he did better on the second half of the debate. I don't, however, think that it was as good as like some other people may perceive. I think his best moment was definitely in foreign policy, specifically yeah. towards Israel. Israel Wasn't which that we during will the second to, half of the Yes, which we will get to, but I think it's that part remotely. 
Um, however, I, I do want to shift gears some because I want to talk about some of the things that you see happen at the debate when you're there that you won't see when you're in there. So one of the things I thought was really corny, and I kind of knew, but it was it still felt corny. They make you clap really hard right after every break. They're like, all right, guys, start clapping right now, right now. I come mean, on, come that's on. just TV production. Oh, I'm production. sorry, it's because you do What's Eating Harlem, so you know how production works. <gasps> no, but Ooh, I'm just saying. Burn. You got burned. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've went to the Daily Show. They have like I have not gone to the Daily Show, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm poor. I have gone to the Daily Show. It's I don't, free tickets. It's free I don't tickets. live in Queens <laughs> with a mother who loves me. All right? <laughs> I don't drive a Mercedes Toyota Benz. Okay, Selena? Neither do I. Well, oh, I thought you did. But you yeah, have a Maserati, I mean, huh? <laughs> continue. Yeah, so what was something you thought was pretty cool from being there live, Alyssa? Um, I just thought it was cool that they there wasn't like a Bernie side or a Hillary side, that yeah. they like sat people together. And then sometimes they like won't do that. They'll be yeah. like, well, if you support one candidate and they split it up, but they didn't. So I actually like had right in front of me, I had really strong Hillary supporters that you could tell were like, upper middle class white people yes. that were very my very people. strong and then behind me I had um, three members of Latinos for Justice for Bernie mm-hmm. and um, a few people from the New York City Nursing Union and yeah. they were all going for Bernie and it was like I was sitting in between them and it sort of made me feel sort of uncomfortable because I really like yeah I like Bernie um, but I also tell them what you did anyway so basically <laughs> I just sat there and I was trying to just be pretty easy even handed and like if if I heard Hillary say something I supported I clapped if I heard Bernie say something I supported I clapped can I interject for a second because Alyssa is going to tell you about her petty Murphy moment go ahead right. okay and then at some point like they were very clear like I said not to be booing to let you know, if Hillary said something that was untrue, let Bernie be like, that's not true, right? Well, the people behind me, they thought that they were debating against Hillary. They forgot for a second that they weren't running for president. <laughs> and they started really, really bothering me because every time Hillary said something, they would like basically be like, that's not true. Or, oh, but this happened. And it like, it felt like they were trying to actually debate Hillary. And at some point during the debate, I finally turned around and I looked at her <laughs> and I went, hey, are you running for president? No? Okay. You know, I support Bernie also, but can you let Bernie debate? Because I didn't come here to hear you debate with Hillary. And after that, they were cool, though. And, like, I wasn't being rude about it. I was respectful about it. But it was just really annoying because I wanted to hear what the candidates had to say. I didn't want to hear what you have to say. That's very true. Jackie, Selena, what were your highlights from the debate? Like, Um, when you were like, oh, my God, this is better than the last 37 debates. I mean, it took off really, really high. Like, it was high energy, a lot of contention, a lot of back and forth. Definitely Libya. Um, foreign policy, Israel, when Hillary Clinton got called out for the intervention um, in Libya, obviously, we know she was secretary of state at the time that mm-hmm. the Obama administration made the decision to invade in Libya. Since then, President Obama has called that the worst decision of his presidency. Now, when she's been getting, you know, question about that decision because she was secretary of state and she's been giving a lot of pushback, she's been defending it. And I'm like, to me, I think that she should take a little more ownership. I mean, the war is arguably illegal, the action that was taken, and it led to a mess. A power vacuum that led to the creation of ISIS, but I think that when it helped, that, it I want to push back on that. But like, no, 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 no. But like, definitely incorrect because ISIS is has to do with Iraq and not the creation of ISIS goes all the way back to George Bush. So to, to connect it to Libya, I think we shouldn't put that out. But there like who's that. there right now? 
Yeah, Who's like, there right they, now? They're, they're in one city in Libya. They're mostly in Iraq and Syria. Right. And that's why they call themselves the Islamic State of Iraq and, and Syria. And like, Libya doesn't really have a lot to do with and that. And let me push back. So I see what you're saying, Selena, because they probably wouldn't be in Libya if they did not do that. However, I would push back on the fact you said it's an illegal war. They got authorization. Yeah. And the thing that Obama pointed out was that the reason that there's so much problems now is because after they pretty much got rid of Gaddafi, the entire coalition was like, peace. They all <laughs> left. So there was really nothing anyone can do, and Congress wouldn't give them any more authorization to fund anything. Right. Can I bring right. up a side note? Something that I completely forgot about. Do you remember when Gaddafi stayed at Trump's house? I was oh. reading about that this weekend. Damn. Homie. Can we just remember what year that? was that? During when was that? that when was, was that? He stayed because no one would ha- no hotel would put him up. <laughs> wow. For the, what, oh, for good. The UN. That's a good thing. And We're gonna start spreading that I, more. I completely forgot about it. Where he stayed at Trump's compound in Bedford Hills. Or wow. Bedford. Yeah. Trump's yeah. compound. I can't look at that. But no, well, so basically, that was a, that was the highlight for me. I mean, I don't know when we're going to talk about Israel, but that was definitely one of the biggest points of the debate. I've never heard a candidate, a politician on a national platform defend Palestine so much. I mean, the thing is, I think he was very fair. Bernie Sanders said it, on, I think, two times. I'm 100% pro-Israel. Yeah. But we need to be, and I quote, even-handed when it comes to how we are helping Israel versus Palestine, particularly in the Gaza Strip back in 2014. And, I mean, that was definitely a highlight for me. Thank you, Selena. Jackie? Yeah, I completely agree. And this is a really important issue for me as a liberal Jew. I think that Bernie um I really appreciated his statements at APAC earlier on where he talked about his experience actually living in Israel and having a very close connection to it. And I um, I think it's really interesting his thoughts on Israel um, and sort of, you know, calling out both sides for the their misdeeds and wrongdoings. Right. But also saying, um, you know, we can't just pick one side or the other here. Um, and what I think is really interesting is that typically Bernie has. Um, been under a lot of criticism and scrutiny for his foreign policy points. Um, and that's where Hillary has tended to do really, really well. Um, but the tables have turned, right, where people really responded well to Bernie's foreign policy ideas and less so Hillary's. Definitely, definitely. And guys, if you're just tuning in or you want to chime into this discussion, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to continue the discussion about the Democratic debate in Brooklyn. Paparazzi, catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress. I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklace. Gas tank on Igazato Drive. No, Wipe me chicken. down. No, I'm gonna steal it from you, Alyssa. Don't no you watch the chicken because you, <laughs> you didn't invite me out last night. You know what, Alyssa? I didn't invite you out because I didn't plan to go either. And then I saw my friend on Friday, and he was like, "Hey, bro, you coming out on Saturday?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, man, I'm coming. I'll be no, out that's there." That's right. I was at the beer garden anyway. You at the beer, and you didn't invite me. Exactly. Alyssa. Oh, I didn't know or that me, you and I live in Astoria. Yeah, I Jackie, know. no one wants to hang out with you. <gasps> Everyone God. wants to hang out. You want to come Except hang out for Alyssa. Us. Like the whitest place on earth, the beer oh, garden? <laughs> I have a good idea. Why don't we all go to brunch after the show? I think that's oh my the God, plan. That's like the best idea ever. Yeah, Thank you so much. I know, I'm so right? glad that it was you that thought of it and, and not, not Selena. I know, right? Because Selena has the worst ideas. <laughs> you should hear our show calls. And she's like, all right, I have a headline idea. 
Stupid like, people no. are ugly babies. How did they get fat? Wait, if that, that was one time, oh, no, I would have been time. in support of that. Next, time, next week, she's going to be like, we should talk about the five-year-olds that smoke cigarettes in Indonesia. Why the, not? Do you remember the time she said she stabbed someone when she was seven years old? They weren't here on the show yet, Stanley, and that was one of my low points. I want to hear are you ben, all about are you, that. Are you Ben Carson? No. Well, I did have a Ben Carson moment. Selena it's Carson true. Hill. I had that recording saved, by the way. We oh, shall be playing it. I so, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90. 0.3 FM, WHC are the voice of Harlem where you bring your mama, your friend, and your cousin too, and you listen to the show because you love it. Selena, we're not talking about you, but you got a fly family. Everybody got good hair and nice eyes, and they smell like springtime. I love it. <laughs> Praise God. Anyways, if you just missed out on the show, I saw that. I saw that fist bump. I appreciate it. If you just missed out on the show, we've been talking about the presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and how we felt it went from Alyssa and I actually being there like real players and Jackie and Alyssa sitting at home on BCAT, Brooklyn Access Television, watching it from there. And one of the things we walked away from before we went on break was Selena saying her highlight was the way that Bernie Sanders actually had an even-handed approach towards Israel in relation to Palestine. And this is a big deal for me. I know it's a big deal for Jackie, Alyssa, and Selena because we have done many shows talking about the conflict in Israel and I can tell you personally I've been afraid to say things because I'm I'm, mm. I'm nervous that it's going to get the show backlash or me backlash and I've ha- I haven't had anything crazy to say I've had to say what Bernie said which is I support Israel but I do think we need to have a more even handed approach and I'm uncomfortable with some things that are happening there to the Palestinian people they describe the place as an open air prison and up until maybe this past Wednesday Israel Criticizing them was a third rail topic, which means you touched it, you were done. You were a radical, you were a lefty, you could not be there. But when he said that, the entire room, Hillary and Bernie supporters, were standing up and clapping. Well, I think that's what a lot of people forget, is there's a lot of Jewish people on the left, like Jackie and I, and I don't speak for Jackie, only myself, that are you know, also very... Very, we care a lot about civil rights and about yeah. civil liberties, and so we're not happy with the what I'll call the right wing government yeah. in Israel you treating <laughs> some of the you know the people in Israel. Now, I've actually been to Israel, and there are places where Arabs and Jews live together, and they live together in peace in different areas. But there are other areas of Israel that that is not the case. And this is the first time that we've seen a major candidate come out and say. Hey, listen, you know, I am pro-Israel. I do support Israel. However, that doesn't mean that Israel's perfect all the time. And the way I try and explain that to people that don't get it in the United States is say, you know, blaming all Israelis and blaming, you know, everybody in Israel for the what their leaders have done is like saying that, you know, you, me and Jackie and everybody that we are responsible for the Iraq war because George Bush, our then at the time conservative right wing leader, decided that we should go to this war, even though the rest of us disagree. There's a lot of left wing Israelis that do not agree with the actions or the response that was taken. They don't believe it was proportionate and they don't agree with Bibi. It sometimes seems like conservative Jews in America care more about this issue than sort of sometimes Israel, not care, but like are more like fired up, fired up about this issue than Israeli Jews are that live in Israel. Um, So that's interesting. However, I will say come general election, like when it's the right versus the left, this is going to become even more contentious because that Bernie sort of position is not going to play well with uh, 
sort of what moderate I'll say conservative moderate Jews. conservative Jews cons- that that are on the fence about whether or not they should vote for right. somebody like Donald Trump, but they're definitely not going to think that view plays well. So that's an interesting contrast we could talk more about as we get closer well, to the general. I, I, Jack, I'm going to be a pain in the butt right now. And sure. If you guys are listening and you want to call in, the number is 212-650-6903. I want to be clear, any trace of anti-Semitism and you're getting cut off. Yeah. I want to be clear about that. Now, I just want to ask a question. Is the Jewish voting base even big enough to have a huge impact if they don't agree with Bernie? I think that it was 15 in the last presidential primary. I think oh, that's I, pretty I, substantial. Yeah, 15% of the turnout yeah. in the Democratic primary was Jewish, which wow. is huge. Yeah, that is. Um, but I do want to say that, as, you know, talking about anti-Semitism, I know that in my own sort of look at Israel and discussion about Israel. And I think that Alyssa brought up the best point, which is that, you know, you can criticize the government without being against an entire group of people. Right. Um, But I have been called anti-Semitic in my criticism of Israel. And I am a Jew. I mean, anyone, you know, you can (laughs) I can forward you the like 15 email exchange between uh, between me and my mom planning Passover Seder menus for next week, right? Like, me and my mom I, yeah, planning <laughs> Passover sure, sure. Seder. But I think that the, as someone who is a proud Jew, right, who's a very liberal Jew, I that is so unbelievable to me that I can't even criticize a nation's government without being called anti anti-Semitic and I'm a Jew right yeah. so it's it's Too really <laughs> and so <laughs> is Bernie Sanders and so is Bernie Sanders yeah. and I appreciate the stance and sort of the privilege that he has being able to talk about this issue as a Jewish man on the left right where he has said in speeches at his APAC speech he said I have a very close connection to Israel I actually lived in Israel on a kibbutz I'm a Jewish American and these are my opinions and I'm really happy that he he took that step right mm-hmm. and I'm also happy because he is um, he is Jewish he spent time in Israel but I I think that the way that he even positioned himself and came out, he said, like, I'm 100 percent, 100 percent pro-Israel. Yes. And I do agree that Israel has the right to defend itself. I just don't understand how saying that, you know, you have Palestinian civilians who are dying right. by the hundreds, by the thousands. And you have U.S. support being very heavy handed towards Israel and innocent people are dying. I really don't understand how anyone with a heart, with some type of human connection could not empathize well, with that sentiment. Well, you know, I'll, I'll kind of jump in there and explain sort of some of that, which is there is this very popular conception, some of which is true and some of which may be an exaggeration, that Hamas, especially in Gaza, positions themselves in places where civilians are. Um, they will put themselves in hospitals. They will put themselves near schools. They were they will specifically put themselves in places where they know civilians are going to die. However, and I think Bernie made this very clear, was even with that being true or at least partially true, the Israeli government still has an obligation to try and reduce the amount of quote-unquote collateral damage. So that's where that comes from, which is a lot of people, at least on the right, will say like that, well, you know what, what is Israel supposed to do when Hamas is basically hiding amongst all the civilians? Like, how do you separate those things out? And I think Bernie dealt with that well by saying, like, yeah, that may be partially true, but that also doesn't mean that you have such a disproportionate response to what's happening in New York country. Right. Pretty much. Well, guys, if you you are listening, you want to chime into this discussion, the number is 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. I know that, you know, eventually we're going to move on into, I guess, like who won the debate. Um, I was thinking about it. Well, Stanley, are we going to get to that point yet? I'm sorry. I I missed what you said. I want to say one thing. Oh, sure. Go ahead. And then actually, what was your question first? No, no, no. You can go ahead. So my question, I wanted to to take a a 5,000 step footstep back 
Um, and the question is, well, we're talking about Hamas, but and maybe I've been reading too much Malcolm X the last couple of weeks, but terrorism doesn't just pop up. Yes, that's true. So that's what true. even brought like what brought what brought what led to this? I think that's we got we have to start having that conversation right. objectively because you know what? People don't just start blowing up buildings and attacking people. It doesn't right. just happen that way. Something ha- like I'm not now I'm not blaming Israel, but I am saying we do have to have a conversation about what brought it to this point, Jackie. Well, I also think it's important to remember what brought all these Jews to Israel right. as well, and that is like Hitler, right? And yeah. that is World War II and the Holocaust. So it's it's on both sides. There's yeah. like really bad stuff happening to lead to this predicament. It's not like you know, it's it's important to look at the history I think on both sides. Yeah. No, but I think like we most people understand have a clear eyed understanding of what brought like Jews to Israel. But what like what I want to know now, like how did we get to this point? And maybe we can start that conversation from there because we should have a two state solution over there in my opinion. Right. But my opinion means nothing of anything. Right. And but, and that I think and just to play devil's advocate again because I know we've had like a lot of Bernie support and you know like who I go vote for on Tuesday is one thing, mm-hmm. but I'll give at least that's one of the things that Hillary was starting right. to s- sort of mentioned, which was back in 1994 there was meetings like that went on for days and days and days at Camp David to try and negotiate some kind of settlement between the PLO, which is the Palestinian right. Authority, and Israel in order to create some kind of two-state solution. But the Israelis were uh, did not want to budge on certain issues, and the Palestinians did not want to budge on certain issues, and nothing happened, and nothing ended up coming out of that talk. And that's one of the points that she made during the debate, which was if they would have reached an agreement that there may have been a Palestinian state for 15 years. I'll push so, back on that. Thank you for telling the truth about that, Alyssa. Hillary had some revisionist history. She blamed the entire fall, fallout of the bill on on not Netanyahu on um what's his name on uh, the leader of the Palestinians yeah. and I think that that yeah. and that's where I disagree with her because I don't yeah. think that it was right for her to place the full blame yeah. on the Palestinian Authority. I think both at during those talks, both sides had issues that they were not going to back down from. So I, I disagree with her on that, yeah. but I do agree with her that had there been an agreement during that meeting, mm-hmm. there may have been a Palestinian state for the past 15 years. Alright guys, this conversation is getting hot and I have to be the pain in the butt to throw some cold water on it. We're going to take this caller and then we're going to switch gears on who we think won. So Miss Deborah, let your voice be heard. Tell us what you want to say, girl. Yeah, I kind of I kind of uh, agree with uh, Selena. Selena, we agree. Um, about how all of this started. And, and I don't understand how you can have 100% support, and then in the same breath, you know, talk about how you don't have, or you want to have, you, you want other people over there, i.e. the Palestinians, to have the right to, to dwell. How do you want them to dwell? See, it's something about Bernie that, that bothers me, and he's been around for a long time, and it's, you know, he thinks if he sits there with those glasses and that gray hair, and those little patches on his sleeve. I don't trust him. And I'm, and if that makes me anti-Semitic, then I'm just anti-Semitic. I don't trust him because he's not clear about what he's saying. Hillary's never going to be clear about what she's saying, so I already know what, what menu she's reading from. But, you know, he's like the Pied Piper, and everybody's following him. Not everybody, but a lot of people, they're so hungry for something different. They are willing to kind of like let him slide. No, you need to be clear about what it is you're saying, too. You can't ask Hillary to be clear, and then you don't want to be clear. 
thank you so much for that, Ms. Deborah. I want to use that to kind of pause it over to who we think won. Alyssa, I'm going to make one quick comment before, yeah, before I do that. I just wanted to, uh, to say, Ms. Deborah, uh, not liking Bernie Sanders does not make you anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic right, is like, the belief that Jewish people are like horrible people and mm-hmm. awful people. It's sort of like a, a racial equivalent. If you don't like a candidate like Bernie Sanders, that's okay. That doesn't it's make like you... It's like saying if you don't like Hillary Clinton, you're sexist. Right. But if you well, don't like Seinfeld, you so, are so, 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 so I just wanted to clarify that. You, you are perfectly entitled to not like Bernie Sanders, and that does not make you anti-Semitic in the least bit. That's right. And this is Let Your Voice Be Heard. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie Mudlove and Cohen. And we are here with the Selena Hill clan. It doesn't sound as racist when you say a black clan. You know, actually, it, now it does sound racist. I don't racist. think you should use the word clan. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. For, for everyone in this room. The yes, Selena yes, Hill that's squad. Not, that's not playing too well. Squad yeah. sounds better. The God squad. The squad, yeah. Family right. squad. Oh, shout out to you guys. You guys missed church for us. Hallelujah. <laughs> Wait, that's actually pretty mean. I'm sorry. Like, let me just stop talking. Anyways, guys, let's shift gears. Miss Deborah said something about Bernie Sanders, which I actually wanted to bring up when we talk about the conversation of who we think won, where she says he's also not answering questions or being clear on things, but he's getting away with it. I would agree. And I think that Hillary Clinton actually won the debate on mm. Wednesday. And now here is why. I kind of had this conversation briefly via text message with you guys at the beginning of the, of the debate. And Alyssa and I talked about it briefly on the bus to um, the West Side as well. The but, bus. I didn't take the bus with you. We took oh, the yeah, boat. Oh, you didn't take the bus. Yeah, we took the so mother We were fancy. Boat. We were on the yacht. On your yes. yacht. We That's were on right. that yacht. That's right. On <laughs> that good yacht with that dirty bathroom. <laughs> and um, But my point was, Hillary really beat him up in the first half of the debate. So they asked him, "What? Like, can you give us an example of Hillary being like corrupt or doing something Wall Street's bid? He couldn't do it. They asked him, how would you break up the banks? He still couldn't answer it. They asked him about guns. He brought up... How he got a, a deep right. F minus rating in 1988, and then when Hillary called him out for getting sponsored by NRA, and his the next time he ran, and the fact that he actually did go against um, a bill that would hurt the NRA multiple times, he could not answer it. The, every time yeah. he was pushed into a corner to answer a question, he did not answer a question. He would go back to his stump speech. And I, I love running like the rest of us, but listen. This is not back in Iowa and New Hampshire or when he first launched his campaign. If you don't know how to break up the banks, why the hell do I want to elect you as president when that's been your biggest campaign point? Say what you want about Hillary, but I think there's a lot of aggressive hate for her. And if you look, she's very intelligent and she can at least answer the policy questions. Bernie still looks weak. So is that is that the question who won? I mean, yes. you know, yeah, I would agree with that. I would totally. I li- listen. I like, like you said, I like Bernie. I agree with him on a lot of things. At the same, and I also I have issues with Hillary. That's part yeah. of the problem. Right. There are things I do not like about her, yeah. and positions that she's taken that I do not agree with. Whereas yeah. there are positions that Bernie's taken that I do agree with, and I feel more closely aligned with him. However, when it comes down to plans, which is how do you take these ideas and put them into action, I feel like Hillary has the plan, yeah. right? And and I think that was pretty clear at the debate, which is me. she can answer how she would actually go about doing things and how she would work with Congress to try and make things happen. Whereas he is very much going, always goes back to his some speech, stuck in the ideology. He's been saying the same exact thing for 30 years. But I want to know what the actual plan is. Give me some policy yeah. details. And I had like some serious issues with Hillary in relation to what she's done in Haiti and other places. But she... Bernie, st- right. this is his main priority piece, and he's not answering questions. He had a couple of logical drops during the debate, which also, also why, like, I wasn't a fan of it, Jackie. 
I don't know who won. I don't really like to decide who won or who didn't. Um, uh, women. Because I'm so... <laughs> hey, so, that's sexist. Yeah, that is Duh. very sexist. That's also anti-Semitic. Women be tripping. Um, <laughs> I don't know who won. I think that there was a lot of vocal support for Bernie in the room, although you argued that there was also vocal support for Hillary. Um, yeah. From my it, end, yeah. it sounded like there was a lot... Much more vocal support for No, Bernie. they were just louder. They were just yeah, louder. Yeah, there was I actually more the Bernie supporters. So this is what I think is interesting um, leading up to the primary on Tuesday. You know, we've seen tens of thousands of people show up in Brooklyn, in Manhattan for rallies for Bernie. There's definitely not any kind of support like that happening, like grassroots support for Hillary in that way. Um, but is that going to translate to, to votes for the primary? A lot of people don't realize that if they switch their party registration a couple years. months ago, it takes a year to switch your party registration um, if you are, you know, formerly uh, unenrolled to a party or registered to another party. So, for example, if you were registered to the uh, Working Families Party and you wanted to register as a Democrat to vote for Bernie and you did that a couple months ago, mm-hmm. you will not be eligible to vote in this primary. Mm-hmm. And that is true for a lot of young voters where he has a lot of support. So while he had a very vocal um, support at the debate and he's had very, you know, huge turnout at these rallies, how many of those people are going to turn into actual votes? I think that we're looking at a disaster on Tuesday. I think we're going to see many, many, many young people uh, or people that change their party to vote for. And on the other side, too, for Trump, who really you know, <laughs> wanted to register as a Republican to vote for Trump, are going to show up to the polls and be turned away because they thought they were registered to a party and they're not. Well, I was just going to I'll just piggyback off that because that's what I was going to say. But, yeah, you needed to register with a party. I believe it was by October 9th was the last day that you could register with a party to be. Able, so, oh, oh, no. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're October right. 9th of right. 2015 yeah. was the last day that you could register with a party to be able to right. vote in this election. So if you were not affiliated or if you wanted to change your party registration and you did it after October 9th and you show up at the polls on Tuesday, you will be turned away. Now, we can can and should have a larger discussion about changing the rules in New York uh, so to make it easier for people to vote and to change their registration and still be able to vote in the primary. But nonetheless... Just know if you waited until after October 9th to change your registration, you're not going to be able to vote on Tuesday. Yeah. To answer the question, I think that most people who are already supporting Bernie felt like he won the debate. And then most people who are supporting Hillary were like, no, she won. Mm-hmm. I think both had point. very strong highlights. I mean... Hillary Clinton almost shut it down when she said, we're going to talk about something that no, that we have not talked about in the many debates that we've been having, and that's abortion, right? Now, right. Bernie Sanders was very, dis- like, she even pointed out that he was very dismissive when Donald Trump said that he would actually punish women for having an a- Mother, abortion right. if it becomes illegal or banned in the United States. And he was, so Bernie Sanders' response was, he's just saying that, and she's just being a distraction. But Hillary Clinton came in full force, and she was like, no, this is not a distraction this is about our autonomy these about our this is about our choice this is about us as a woman and they're trying to push back and take these rights back that was definitely a strong highlight that i wanted to point out um on her end and i think that bernie sanders I love the fact that he kept pushing back on those transcripts. I mean, the moderators, Bernie Sanders, and they put her in a corner. And I feel like Hillary Clinton does not have a good answer when it comes to why she was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to speak for Goldman Sachs. I think she should just come out and say, you know what? 
Um, I, I did do this. I did take it, but it was a bad decision. It was poor judgment. And the reason why I'm not going to release these transcripts is because what's going to happen is the media is going to pull some things out of context, and I'm going to have to start talking about this for the next two months instead of the issues. That, to me, is a better response. But she keeps backing herself in a corner like, I'll release it when you guys do. And then well, Bernie just was like, well, I'll release it then. Put it this way. She's never going to release the transcripts, and she's not going to apologize for it because politicians in her she position. She needs a better answer then. Yeah. She should come up with she, a better she, answer. She looks weaker if she apologizes yeah. than right. if she just does what she's doing now. Yeah, so I, I do have to wrap this up, guys. This was, it was a really good conversation. I want to have a, a bit of a strange conclusion for this conversation, and I want to talk about some level of privilege that we have in this room right now. So I am a black man um, with my, my, my Jewish brother, Alyssa, right there. And because we have relationships and we have access, we were able to make it to this debate. This debate happened in the Brooklyn Navy Yards in Brooklyn. You know what's not too far from the Brooklyn Navy Yards? Farragut Projects, one of the poorest housing facilities in New York City. Some of the poorest people you will ever find who have a lack of proper education, a lack of good jobs, a lack of funding. And you know who was at that debate? Mostly the richest of the richest, the most famous people, politicians smoozing, shaking hands, kissing babies, talking about their next event, and a whole bunch of white folk who, you know, that's not to say that they're like bad or anything, but who also had privilege, like listen, I did, to be there. You know who was at home watching the debate? People who can afford a cable bill. People who, if they can't afford a cable bill, they have access to people who do or can go into a bar and pay a couple of extra dollars to watch that debate. You know who's not watching the debate? All those people that Hillary and Bernie and even Trump in his own twisted way and Ted Cruz in his own twisted way are talking about they're trying to reach, that they're trying to get to. You know who did not watch that debate? The people that Bernie Sanders said he wanted to go talk to in the South Bronx. They did not see it. They are not a part of those conversations. We did not speak their language. We might not have touched on their problems, and we expect them to vote. And what I'm saying with all of this is even though we can come in here and talk about all the fun we have with with this debate and I have access to go see Bernie at the Apollo and then go see him at the debate later on that week and Alyssa does too, we are doing a disservice to the real American people if we continue to make this conversation about the future of our country a high-level, high-minded, and I'm putting air quotes up there, conversation that ignores the very people you say you want to save. So until we change that, we are failing. And we have to end this discussion. But guys, please keep it going. Talk to your friends friends talk to your family whoever you vote for make sure you are educated and since you can't be educated through the base because they don't show it if you got internet search there or go to the library we'll be back after this quick break guys when we come back it will be the quickie and i got a birthday shout out so please stick up yeah it is news roundup actually news roundup. well I, I like to do the news quick <laughs> And something eating chicken with the fork on. That's like a driving through the gated residential. Eat Popeyes with French fries and some mashed potatoes with that dry biscuit. Can I say biscuit. something? Speaking no. of Popeyes, mm-hmm. yesterday I met up with my mom. Um, in Westchester, and I was Westchester? like, "You want to go in Westchester?" And she was like, "I wanted to go get lunch with her, mm-hmm. and she said that she could not because she had Popeyes." <laughs> That's right. I, am I the box. only one who doesn't eat or brag about Popeyes? Because like, you're that's a loser. Disgusting. Like you I, I have not. Alyssa like, loves Popeyes so much. She I went through Popeyes, got called Snowflake, and still got her five dollar box. <laughs> 
That's <laughs> I can't, guys. Um, miss me with that greasy chicken. Yeah. Who praise me with that greasy <laughs> artery clogging chicken? That's oh, gonna make no. me die when I'm 45 with that diabetes. Diabetes right, in a bag. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR. I probably got the sugar, y'all. We're gonna have to eat some fat-free food today. And if you are just tuning in, we just had a great conversation about the presidential debate, and we were talking about why Hillary and Bernie were in Brooklyn slap boxing. We won't tell you who won, though. Figure it out yourself. Now we're gonna have a conversation about the news roundup, our favorite news stories throughout the week. Things that make you laugh, cry, curse, or flip a table. But before we do that, I want to give a special birthday shout out to my home slice Heather Hart. Heather Aww. is four foot two, adorable, blonde hair, blue eyes. If you look up American Girl Next Door, it is her. <laughs> but she also drinks like a man or like a woman. And I drink like a woman as well because I can hold my liquor very well. And I want to wish her a very happy birthday. I owe you a hug. And I want to pat your head so you can get annoyed with me like you usually do. I don't know that she's listening. She probably never listens. <laughs> she, she, does, probably never she doesn't support me. This, but, but, um, yeah. Yeah, happy birthday. Happy to birthday, my, to my best birthday. friend, Heather. And Definitely. Willow, I love you as well. Don't feel jealous. <laughs> Alyssa? Right. Yes, yeah, so speaking of the news, um, you ended that last segment talking about the Farragut houses being very close to where the Brooklyn Navy Yard is and Word. some of the poorest people living there. Well, actually, um, I think it was after the debate, Hillary became the first person ever running for president to go visit a public housing complex. Oh, she Harlem. actually came to East Harlem. She toured uh, one of the, I'm not exactly sure which houses she went to. I believe it was a house that's, uh, houses, m- it was Wagner, that mostly houses senior citizens. But, you know, that's uh, that's pretty good that, as you said, it's not like they're just on stage talking about these issues. Like, she actually went to go visit, to go see how people live. And a lot of people don't know this or, or don't, it's not clear. A lot of fe- money that a lot of money that goes to public housing yeah. comes from federal funding. Yeah. Housing projects were built by the federal government, and a good portion of the funding that goes to the city of New York and to the state of New York yeah. to provide services for those housing projects comes from the federal government. So and she Nitra went is there, and it's grossly underfunded. She went there, she saw it, and she said, "If I'm elected president, I will make a commitment to make sure federal tax dollars go to fix some of these longstanding problems that are going on." in NYCHA. So if you want to talk about reaching out to the people that she's trying to get to vote for her, maybe that didn't have a TV or access to the internet or cable to watch the debate. She went there and met with them in person. Where did Bernie Sanders go? He went to meet with the Pope. I mean, I don't blame him. (laughs) I mean, that's a great photo op. I just wonder, I hear a lot that um, Bernie and Hillary are making each other better. They're making each other better candidates and better politicians, and I think that this is a clear example of that. Um, They are both benefiting from having each other. We are all benefiting, I think, for from having both of them in the race sort of um, playing up each other. No, no, that's absolutely right. And, you know, props to for, to Hillary for actually going yeah. that extra mile, becoming the first candidate to do that. I definitely pay her a lot of respect. I will be ver- voting for Bernie on um, Tuesday, but you know what? When Hillary actually wins, and I do think she's going to win the, the primary, I'm going to vote for her, and I'm going to be very proud. I don't think you think you think You think Bernie might just I mean, take like the nomination? I mentioned in the last segment that I think it's more of a matter of who is going to be eligible to vote, and I, yeah. I predict right. a big issue happening on Tuesday with yeah. voters coming um, to to vote and being turned away from the polls, but I don't know that it's a d- sure thing that she's going to win New York. I yeah, think no. Oh, no, no, not New York. I was just saying, like, in oh, general. The, yeah, the nomination. Sure. I'm, See, I'm and sure I the think that depends on how well she, Bernie does in New York or doesn't yeah. do. Yeah. I, I right. think that's going to have a, a big... You know, I think for once, we actually get to vote in an election that matters, and sometimes yeah. as yes. New Yorkers, yeah, it feels like we get overlooked, with the, the exception of our local elections, sure. but in national politics, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, well, New York's going to go blue, but... Oh, Oh, well, 
by the way, guys, if you guys want a phone bank for Bernie, we're going to be phone banking at my office on Monday. That's on 41st Street, Suite 802. We're phone banking for Bernie. So you guys are more than invited to come phone bank for him. So I criticize him, but he definitely has my vote. Um. No, but I just wanted to say, you know, speaking of voting, um, I don't know if you guys have been following what's been going on in D.C., the Demo- um, the Democracy Spring. So more than 900 protesters were arrested by Saturday afternoon down in D.C. These are mass demonstrations that began last Monday. And basically what everyone is protesting is something that Bernie Sanders has been speaking about since the beginning of his campaign. And pretty much since the beginning of his career when it comes to money and politics and corruption. So his bae, Rosaria Dawson, (laughs) was also there, and she was arrested, along with Harvard Law School professor and former Democratic presidential candidate Larry um, Lexig. He was there, too, and he also got arrested. So I just wanted to shout out everyone down in D.C. who are just taking these matters to the heart where it is. And, you know, uh, um, speaking of that, there are also, I'm anticipating, big, big rallies, demonstrations coming up because we do know after the primary on Tuesday... 420 is on Wednesday. So that's everyone like is my also. favorite day of the year. Right. That's <laughs> Alyssa's favorite. Coincidentally, it's just her favorite day of she the year. She the numbers, 420, right. 2016. I think she likes the time on the clock, 420. 20 yes. minutes after 4. Yeah. So people will also be talking about legalizing marijuana and pushing that advocacy. I actually had a great discussion with the women behind Estro Hayes, these three young black millennials who talk about cannabis culture and just the fact that, you know, if we don't legalize this, what's happening is something we talk about about on the show all the time when it comes to black and brown people, mass incarceration, and just being locked up by having a nickel bag on the street, whereas you have people who are like corporations hiding money in Panama and they don't get anything. Wait, I mean, that's a great point. I'll just add to that, that um, marijuana legalization is going to be on the ballot in in November in many, many states. So we're definitely seeing a sea change. Um, The federal government is finally talking about potentially lowering the schedule, although they're some issues going on with that. I don't want to get into the nitty gritties. Um, as Selena points out, marijuana legislation is absolutely needed because it affects black and brown people. I mean, white people get marijuana and marijuana projects products delivered to their homes. Yes. Nobody is arresting them. Said, yes, pretty excitedly, Jackie. <laughs> so, <laughs> not <laughs> my home. They don't package coming. They don't come to Queens, so not uh, to my home. But this is a thing that happens where you call a number and, like, you know, an hour later, some guy on a bike shows up with a nice, pretty package. For you. So fancy to get your well but they and you know most of those services they deliver in places like the upper west side the upper east side chelsea no they don't come to Queens. like the financial district they they in fact i um have a friend who knows of a friend who knows of the company um that the company will not deliver anywhere above 96th street i mean so (laughs) wow They're trying to avoid the jokes. We got stick-up kids well, in Harlem. I think it's also in, something interesting, and we, you know, we could talk about this forever, and we're not going to now. But um, the, you know, you mentioned before, Selena, this idea of corporations getting away with whatever they want versus we're incarcerating people for low-level drug crimes, right? For just having a little bit of marijuana on them. Um, but what I think is really interesting is to see, you know, I think that we're clearly moving in a direction towards legalization of marijuana. But what's the next step, and is it going to be corporatized? And then what happens right. after that? You know. I think the whole culture surrounding marijuana is going to change. Um, and we're going to see big corporations try to get their hands all over it. And then, you know. And that's a discussion I had with those three black women because they were saying, if you think about who 
uses the product and who's also been hurt by the product the most disproportionately it's black and brown people once it does become legalized and that's the direction we're moving in this country we need to make sure we get a fair share of the pot and that we're not just being you know not it's not just that we've been arrested for decades on end and now it's become legal and like we don't get you know anything so that was the discussion i had and it was really good and guys if you're listening you want to chime into this conversation the number is 212-650-6903 you can tweet us at be heard underscore underscore radio you did it wrong jackie you guys should have let jackie say at least the (laughs) underscore (laughs) she could have said something but yeah guys so so Oh, no, you wanted to have that. Well, no, there's one thing I did want to add. So remember I was talking about the democracy spring? So 3,500 protesters actually pledged to get arrested. And I remember we used to have these conversations around Occupy Wall Street where a lot of people were like, yo, we're definitely getting arrested. I don't know if it was like a badge of honor. but It's disobedience. I mean, it's like something that... It's an organizing tactic. Right. right, No, and I I get that. But I think... But no, but Stanley always used to make that point. Like, you're being funny, but I think that you were saying, like, as a person of color, you know, maybe have some past misdemeanors or felonies. I don't know. But I'm just trying to say, like, you can't Take that step. You can't afford. No, I'm saying that you might not be able to afford to go that extra step when it comes to civil disobedience. Well, yeah. That's a really good point. And I've seen a lot of organizers um, for the DREAM Act in this country um, take part in civil disobedience and get arrested and risk deportation. Like there's yeah. different. It's important to remember that, yeah, you can get arrested for a cause that you believe in, but it should be used as a tactic. And I think that, you know, to. To put yourself in that risk, I mean, says a lot, but it should be something that you enter into with full yeah. knowledge about what you're doing. Um, so I think that, you know, the pledge idea is a good thing because it gets people to think about, OK, am I willing to get arrested? These are the risks that I'm taking on if I do. Um, so I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, no. So we actually have some breaking news uh, that's coming out of Ecuador, and it's unfortunately not such good news. But there has been a, a, a huge earthquake. I believe it's over a, a seven point six or something. Although there's seven point seven, there's no actual confirmation of the magnitude yet. They're reporting that there's been over two hundred and thirty people killed, numerous people injured. We'll we'll see if there's more news that comes out about that as the show goes on. Um, if not, though, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that story, and that's just very sad news that's coming yeah. out of Ecuador this morning so we are um hoping for all those people selena is praying for all those people yes no i just want to say that so there was also huge earthquakes also in japan last week there's earthquakes all over all the time reason being and something that we've been talking about a lot on this show climate change is definitely affecting our globe our environment our climate and and all of these changes um so that's something that you know we've been looking out um for and i do i do just want to mention because i know we were talking about getting arrested I almost got arrested on Tuesday. I was at an anti. Yeah, okay. I was at an anti-Trump rally, Alyssa. And she snuffed a Donald Trump supporter and said, no. "Yeah, yeah." No, I ran into the I ran into the Trump supporters and I was talking to them and like they were like really amped up. So like it was like five hundred anti-Trump supporters and then you had like a. 50. They were like so loud. So I had to go over there. I had to talk with them. But okay, I didn't almost get arrested because you know me, Alyssa. I'm not rowdy like that. She just Same wants to make life. herself but, No, seem but my hard. mom was like, You didn't get arrested, did you? And I'm like, No, I'm here. I, I would have got arrested because I would walk right into that pro Trump crowd and let, let somebody get crazy with me. We would have had a situation. They weren't that crazy. Like, they were like making legitimate arguments. They were like, no. He's a great negotiator. No. I'm serious. We're going to get to <laughs> Selena. Selena. Are you gonna... smoking crack? Yes. No, I'm saying they said that. They were like, No, he's, he That's a legitimate argument. He's gone bankrupt like six times. They were like, He, but they were like, you can use that for your benefit. Like, he knows what not He's to do. He's white and rich. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're gonna get Selena a T-shirt that says "Bad <laughs> AF." No, no. Look, I am not Trump supporter supporting Ajace. Trump. Okay, I just want to say that I did speak to them. I've been let avoiding me, all those rallies. Yeah, let me put some goodness into this. We have to go on break. We have to go on break, guys. But Jack Lou has said that he knows which um, bill he's gonna replace. Not the ham- the ten dollar bill with Hamilton, the twenty dollar bill, and put a woman on there. Yep, Jackson Finally. is out. And not the Jackson Yay. we like, but the Jackson that did Trail of Tears. What woman? And also, what woman? Probably Harriet Tubman, Good. who's also my bae, and she's A-OK. So, guys, we do have to go on a break. If Harriet Tubman were alive today and on Twitter, I'd probably do something like this. I girl We are back. The ratchet is all the way turned up. Thank you for joining us here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm, where, I'm here with Mr. Ratchet himself, Stanley with the blazer. Fritz. You say no to ratchet music, Stanley Fritz can't. This is actually my ratchet unleasher. Once it's I've had this in the sip of Hennessy, the ratchet comes out when of my I got spirit. Here, I, I was it. like, I Stanley, it. you show me up right now. I didn't wear the jacket and I'm you wear the jacket. And we have also Alyssa Fuchs here with the legal knowledge and Jackie Cohen, who's actually my favorite. Like, you're just so likable, agreeable, Jackie. Oh I just want to just make, give I you a compliment you. because Stanley is always beating up on you unfairly. I, okay? I do not hit women. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, okay, I don't know. If not Chris Brown. All right, I don't know if that's true or not. But what? speaking of hitting on people, right? Wait, that's actually wait, a whoa. great segue. What? How, okay, so what is, it's it's not true. Okay, let's. Okay, fine. Disclaimer: I, I do not know Stanley to be a domestic abuser. Happy? What is yo? <laughs> all right, I'm just like oh Westbury all over again. Escalated real quick. It really did. Marilyn beats me. How you think I, I used to be light skinned She beat me black and black. I can't with you, Stanley. All right, guys. So uh, we are moving on right into again this scathing Chicago Police Department support. Right. We're going to talk about excessive force. We're going to talk about police reform, police brutality and everything that's going on in Chicago. But before we do, I need to tell you guys about Pierre Lowry. Now, he was a 16 year old African-American teenager who was fatally shot and killed by a Chicago police officer last week, a few days ago. One eyewitness says he was on the run. He was trying to jump over a fence. And that's where she saw the cops shoot him. He died from a bullet to his chest. Now, um, and she also told the Chicago uh, Tribune, and I quote, that the cops shot him in the air, quote, and that his pants leg got caught on the fence and he hit the ground. If he hadn't gotten shot, he would have cleared the fence, said this unidentified woman, this witness, right? On the other hand, police insist that Pierre fled from a car, then pointed a gun at them. They also said he was a documented gang member. Now, two sides of the story. I will say this. There are pictures online. Well, of course, they put pictures of lo- online, and they're showing in the media, they're showing this picture online of him with a, a tattoo in his neck that mm-hmm. does refer to a gang. And in one picture, they are showing this picture of him holding a gun. Look, but it's still the, the saying still goes. Innocent unless proven guilty. No one deserves to die, especially if they're running, if they're fleeing. I, I agree with that. Um, I will just to give you the legal standard, um, and and this is this is what the legal standard is it's called the fleeing felon rule. Uh, there can be stricter standards state to state, but at a national level, uh, the law says that the police can, in fact, use deadly force to shoot at somebody who is fleeing, but they have to have evidence that the person is actually armed and dangerous, 
or they have to have evidence that the person committed a violent felony. Otherwise, you are not allowed to shoot somebody that's fleeing. Now, we could have a larger debate about whether you should ever be able to shoot somebody who is fleeing, but at least the legal standard um, constitutionally for fleeing felons is it has to be a felony, uh, which is why the Walter Scott situation was so tragic because he was wanted for child support, not for a felony. And two, like I said, and or it has to be somebody who is known armed and dangerous. Being a known gang member is not one of the qualifications. You forgot the Negro clause. If black, oh, right, 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 then right. you shoot. Well, well, I will say this. A weapon was recovered on the scene. Police are saying that it was his. Did but they there is, in his nose too? They may have. I don't know. It was not made immediately clear whom the weapon belonged to. We do know, you know, at the end of the day, police are people. They do lie. They do fear for their lives. We don't know what happened. Obviously, this needs to go to trial. Um, so soon as this happened, People in Chicago, they hit the streets, of course. There were hundreds of people pouring out last Monday, last Tuesday, about this death of this 16-year-old African-American boy. But they weren't just mad about his death. There has been, I mean, if you think about what's been going on in Chicago, we also had, not that long ago, Laquan McDonald, who was shot and killed at the end of 2014, but that video didn't come out until a a year later, and it took a journalist fighting to get access to that. So, I mean, those are just two examples of larger systematic ills that are being felt by the people in Chicago, and these underprivileged black and brown communities each and every day. And this is something that they feel. It's something they experience. It's something that they see every day. But to further legitimize what they've been feeling was this scathing report um, that came out and was released by a mayoral task force that was um, appointed by Mayor Rahman Emanuel after the Laquan McDonald fiasco. And this is basically um, what the report says. The report says that there was a disproportionate number of African Americans who have been shot and stopped by police in recent years. So out of 404 people who were shot by police between 2008 and 2015, 54, no, 55 were Hispanic, 33 were white, one were Asian. Guess how many were black? 404. 299. Close, Alyssa. Close. You were close. <laughs> I was close like, enough. No, that, I mean, no, 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 that, the, that the, wasn't bad. The 404 number I gave came from, uh, out of the seven, 404 is the total number of yes. people shot. I oh. apologize. Yeah. So, as Selena points out, 74% of those people between 2008 and 2015 were black or brown. Mm. Right. And, and 74%. And that's just within the last eight years. 72% of people stopped by Chicago police in 2014 were also black, while 17% were Hispanic. Now, if you're thinking, well, you know, what's the racial demographic? How was that? How, how does that come up? Like, how does that come into play? It's basically evenly split in Chicago. 31.7% of the population in Chicago is white. 32.9% are black and 28.9% are Hispanic. So there is no reason why an overwhelming amount of people being killed in Chicago should just be one racial group. Like if these cops are trigger happy, they're only shooting and targeting one type of person. And it's happening over and over again. And it's been happening for decades and years. Um, just to, just to keep, continue what this report said, there's also a quote um, that I want to read. So this quote says, and this is from the, the people who were on the task force. They said that the police have no regard for the sanctity of life when it comes to people of color, end quote. And they also talk about how they have alienated blacks and Hispanics with the use of force. And they also talk about this longstanding code of silence where it's like you see nothing, you hear nothing. Right. And we actually saw that 
um, during the Walter Scott shooting. Alyssa brought that up a few minutes ago in South Carolina. After he was shot eight times in the back, you saw other police officers like come over and they're just like talking and like it's just a casual day. Like I would have been 100% outraged. Like how did this happen? He's faced sure. on the ground, but it's like you know you you see people, you see the police officers defending their their colleagues all the time. No, and, and to add to that, and I know we're going to get into this a little more in detail later on in the segment about uh, the culture in the courts, but, um, you know, there's this great article in the New York Times this week, a guy who used to be the Cook County clerk, and he said that he interviewed 27 judges um, about police perjury, and that goes to your point of um, covering things up, and he said that, uh, and he interviewed prosecutors, and basically what he says is that most of these people that he interviewed willingly admitted that police perjury was part of the culture of the court system. So it goes beyond just the police covering stuff up on the street within the police department. It goes further into them continuing that cover up and lying in the court system, in legal proceedings, when it really matters when people's life and liberty is on the line. True. So I want to get you guys reaction to this report. I just gave some of the um, most alarming statistics about what's been going on. And if you guys want to call in, chime in. The number is 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. Stanley, reaction to the report. Well, there's nothing really surprising about it. This is the culture of the police. Whether it's Chicago, New York, Alabama, Mississippi, anywhere, this is the culture of the police. If you ever heard a police officer talk who maybe you have a relationship with, a lot of them associate people of color as freaking animals. They're freaking savages. I had one friend of mine who said to me, I don't know why you stupid hippies want to protect people from East New York. They're nothing but thugs and animals, and I like putting my boot in their back. And I said, oh, I'm from East New York. Mm. And he goes, oh, you're one of the good ones. <gasps> And this, this is should not be your friend. This is a black person. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Th- this, and he was not like this before he joined the NYPD. Mm. This is a social construct. And what I would say to you, and people would be very uneasy about this, is you can't just go there and hire some new people and restructure. You have to blow up the entire system because at its very base, it's racist. Right. right. Um, reaction to the report? Yeah, I mean, I think exactly what you said, Stanley, that this is something that people know and are living with. But it's sort of like, I think the comparison you can make is like, when you, you know, like, you know something's wrong, right? And you have a gut feeling, like, if you're in a relationship and you know your partner's doing something wrong and you feel crazy because you know that there's something bad happening, but you can't prove it. You're and, you're look- and then you go, like, insane because you're looking for it. And it's like, there's just this, like, unsettling factor where you know that this is happening, but nobody believes you. You can't really prove it. Mm-hmm. With statistical evidence that this is happening. I mean, it's something that we all know, but now we can... But Further even with the statistical it, evidence, you'll always have people on the other side, the apologists that will come out and say, oh, well, the stats are skewed because, you know, of this and that. And it depends on the questions you asked. And, and, and you know, and like and the response to that should be like, no, the stats aren't skewed. Like people aren't conducting these yeah. studies in order to prove that, you know, police are bad people. Like right, people right. are conducting these studies to show that there's a systemic racial bias within yeah. policing that we need to first recognize before we can figure out how to fix. If we keep going around pretending like it's not happening, then we can't fix a problem. No, that's very true. And the the makeup of the task force was actually very diverse. That should be noted. I want to ask a question. Um, In relation to the violence going on in Chicago, I'm sure some people are going to say, well, what about the violence in Chicago? Maybe the police's reaction has been because of such high levels of violence we've seen in 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 that city. 
Right. So, so was that? Was yeah, the that's question? my question. Like, my question is like, has there been pushback about that? And like, if so, like, what has been the response to it? Well, that is a good question because police have been trying to fight back, and they report that gun and homicide arrests are up. Good point. Just in January, there were 51 killings alone. Wow. That made it the deadliest month on record wow. in the last 16 years. Um, and that's fine, but that doesn't give the police the right to conduct unlawful stops and searches and Correct. seizures. Like, we right. have legal standards. One of those comes from a case called Terry versus Ohio. It says that the police need to have reasonable suspicion if they want to stop you, that you may be committing a crime or may be about to commit a crime. And they actually have to have a second level of reasonable suspicion that you may possess a weapon if they want to search you. The problem is they don't follow these legal standards. Right. So that may be true. Crime may be high, and there may be a need for higher police stops in certain neighborhoods. But the fact is, you see, these stops still need to be justified by articulable facts and circumstances for why they're stopping. And that's the problem. A lot of times the police can say all they want that these are high crime neighborhoods, but they still can't articulate why you stopped, you know, Johnny Blue as he was going to the bodega to buy a can of soda. Right. And I think to piggyback off of that, no one's arguing against good policing. Right. And we see plenty of examples of good policing in these major cities. However, it tends to not be in black and brown communities. Right. Or when we see officers be prosecuted, they tend to not be white officers. So we're just asking for equal treatment um, across the board. You know, the same communities deserve the same types of protection and treatment. I don't think we'll ever get that. Not while we have the system here. I'll tell you that right now. Um, This is. It's not just the officers. You can have people who come in there right. with good intentions. It's the culture. You have to yep. blow up the entire thing. Right. right. And I just wanted to add one more thing about the culture and about what you said about how your friend who's an officer who's black. When you do stand up and you do say, I've had enough of this and we're seeing this right now in New York and I'm not going to get into a lot of the details just because of my job and about certain things that I can say and can't say. But you literally have six to ten police officers who are of, of color right. suing the department claiming that there is quotas right. and yeah. then you have all these other officers saying that there's not and then you know now you are literally having a whole bunch of police officers finally breaking the ranks mm-hmm. to to say this isn't right this is not why i signed up to be a police officer yeah. i'm not just going to go stop somebody because it's a high crime neighborhood yeah. and because of the color of their skin i'm going to stop i'm not going to hide down the stairs to get somebody jumping a turnstile i'm going to stand at the turnstile to prevent the crime because guess what? That's my job. My job is to prevent crime before it happens, not to just get an arrest for the sake of getting one. No, you're absolutely right. And yesterday I had the privilege of speaking to a public defender. Um, My age, she was a young, like, you know, 20-something black black girl, black woman, and she was just telling me that it takes up so much time, energy, and resources when she has to go defend someone who was arrested for jumping the turnstile. Like, I have, like, that happened to, like, that happened to my father. Like, I had to bail him out. Crime of when poverty. He, when he, yeah, like, I got and, and, for that. Using a school metro car right. on vacation. Or, or, or people who take up more than one seat on the subway, you know, and she's like, it's, it's just happening over and over again, and it's not happening in certain classes, in certain districts, sure. it's only happening in certain communities where people are so disenfranchised, it becomes the norm. It's, it's It becomes a cycle, a way of life where you're constantly arrested this year and then next year, and you don't really know your your rights. Yeah. So, and, and here's what I want to, I don't want to take any blame away from the crooked officers, but I do want to say, we really need to put our proverbial foot on the neck of these elected officials, because the fact that a matter of 
remains is there are high levels of poverty, lack of education and resources. Like I said before, where terrorism doesn't just pop up, crime and neighborhoods doesn't just pop up. People having to jump turnstiles doesn't just happen. There's a reason this is happening. And it's easier to put all the blame on the police when we're not talking about how we even got to this point. We really need to Rahm Emanuel. Like, I forgot the name of the governor in, in um, Illinois, but like, there's a serious problem with our elected officials who have no backbone. No, that's that's absolutely true. And like you said, just to bring it back to Chicago, I want to bring it back to what uh, Alyssa was mentioning before. Um, and I read that New York Times article that you referenced. Um, there's something that the report does not say, and it's the fact that there are a number of racist practices that extend also into criminal courts. And indeed, there's a foundation. This is what this article talks about. It talks about this foundation um, of racism that enters into the court system where you have many judges and prosecutors who are just as dirty when it comes to defending um, police officers and when it comes to just, you know, not even giving the people who may have offended or may not the benefit of any doubt. It's like automatically they're getting they're, they're automatically getting locked away. And I wanted to ask Alyssa, because we know as a civil rights attorney, you deal all the time with the system. You're in the courts and you see this firsthandedly. Do you believe that the court system has been infiltrated by racism? Yeah, I do. I do. I definitely do. And I think that depends on where you are. Um, and it also depends on who you're dealing with. But I'll give you a perfect example of this. I have a friend whose name I'm not going to mention um, who is black, who grew up in Brooklyn, and he is a DA in uh, – you're not a DA. And he's a DA in Brooklyn. And he said, you know, when he – now he works in a higher-level unit prosecuting, um, you know, more serious crimes, uh, not low-level street-type crimes. But he said when he did work in those lower units, a lot of times when he would see um, the police bring in or he would have to be the prosecutor at an arraignment and he would see somebody come in who was a person of color for jumping a turnstile or possession of a little bit of marijuana or just some, you know, a, a petty theft of, of uh, I don't know, a tube of toothpaste or a toothbrush from somewhere. He said a lot of times he's like, I would give those people conditional discharges. I would give those people ACDs, which is stay out of trouble for six months and your case gets dismissed and sealed. He goes, because I'm from Brooklyn. I understand the circumstances of these people. I understand a lot of times those are crimes of poverty and that the government isn't doing anything to lift people out of poverty. So he said, so I took it upon myself as somebody who was a prosecutor who had the discretion to say, you know what? I'm not going to ruin your life over this. She, he goes, I saw some of my colleagues that were white that grew up on Long Island or in Westchester, no offense to Jackie or to me, that are not familiar with the culture of Brooklyn, who do not understand the circumstances yeah. that these people come from, that were looking to prosecute these people and put them in jail simply because they took this hard line like, you do it, you do the crime, you do the time, you know, and they didn't understand the circumstances. So, right. I mean, that's just one example, and I'm not going to say right. that that's like pervasive but that's just one example about how you have some prosecutors that are from here that get it and they're willing to make the system more, you know, go a little bit easier on people because they understand their circumstances. And then you have all these other people that went to law school that have these high ideals about crime and violence. And like, we have to stop people from committing crimes. And they're like, yeah, let's lock this guy up for 15 days for stealing a Snickers bar because he was hungry. And like, that's right. the kind of culture we need to change also. No, no, you're absolutely right. Before we go on break, I just wanted to mention that I have a friend who did wind up in a predicament where someone, let's say that he got into a fight he stabbed someone and that person died from a wound. Like, it was like a, a absurd situation, but that person wound up dying. You know, now he's on trial. And it's like, 
But he, he was like, but you have to understand, I was on my stoop, and they jumped me. It was like a gang, and I was just happened to be just standing there. And I'm like, these are the circumstances that people are living in. I mean, we just saw the movie Chirac, and that is just a play on what's really gone, going on in these communities in Chicago, where it's like a war zone. And mm-hmm. it's like either lay down or get shut down. It's And you have to develop that whole persona in order to survive. Um, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, but we will continue this conversation about what's going on with corruption racism and Chicago right here on let your voice be heard I drive a sports car just to Guys, like all of them diamond rings. Would you kill for? Okay, let's Maybe just stop we'll just it there. Roll. All right, we're gonna stop it there before we say all sixteen bars of that verse. All right, guys, this it's is thirty-two. I can't. Word. All right, guys. All right, hip hop heads. <laughs> this is let your voice be heard right here on WHCR ninety point three FM, the voice of, of Harlem. And my name is Selena Hill. That's Stanley with the creepy ad libs. That's not creepy <laughs> at all. That's very attractive. It's not. Alyssa's here, and we have Jackie here. Before we <laughs> went to break, uh, we were talking about the corruption, the racist courts, and the scathing report that was was released um, about the Chicago Police Department. Um, and, we're, and I know that Jackie had a comment about Illinois politics well, because, you know, for many people in Chicago, this didn't come as a surprise. This is not a surprise to me at all, right, that this is happening. I think that there has been a long history of government corruption in Chicago and in the state of Illinois at the very top level. You know, the governor, there are like very top level political figures from Illinois and Chicago sitting in jail cells, right? Or who have very recently. Um, So this is nothing new. And I think it's something, granted, you know, Chicago's not the capital of Illinois, but in Albany and in New York, we see the same kind of corruption. And perhaps that's why we see the same kind of issues, you know, to quote my favorite musical ever, Hamilton, right? They say the corruption is such an old song that we can sing along in harmony and nowhere is it stronger than in Albany. And I think that's why we see the same sort of issues in this state, right? Because the level of corruption we see at the very top um and so there's no oversight into policing and just governance absolutely right unfortunately i'm having a little bit of internet problem at the moment and it doesn't look like the comment was really oh here we go so we do have a comment from laura lee mcmahon and she said so basically this reportage is more of the same since i was born how little the world changes right no and it's very it's very sad even when i was at that trump rally a few days ago one of the things that was being chanted and said amongst us is why are we still fighting the same battle it's the same battle that um reverend jesse jackson was fighting in the 80s then we have, you know, uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. I mean, it's the same thing. It's a reoccurring issue. And I know some progress is being done. I mean, if you want to look at the, the fact that we even have a report and the fact that this even made the New York Times and we're talking about it here, that is a testament to progress, but it is not enough. And we can't deal with incrementalism when it comes to, you know, problems of this nature and this scale. Well, you have to shift the entire establishment. You have to remove all the people who are there from the top because you know, what, you're, what you're getting is not progress. What you're getting is the establishment giving you a little bit to shut you up and make you feel like change has really happened, but they're still keeping business as usual in the main places, and that's why that's happening. And that's why so many people don't want Hillary there because they feel like she is with that establishment who's going to do business as usual. And like I said, I'm going to keep on saying this. You cannot just make a couple of new rules and have a press conference, and this will all go away. Police will continue to shoot unarmed black people, will continue to fail black and brown people in the court because the whole system is racist. Right. Well, they did um, appoint a new leader in the Chicago Police Department. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and black? people are caught. Yes, of oh, course. You already knew that. 
Um, people are calling for Mayor Rahman Emanuel to resign and to step down because of all the corruption that has been taking place under his administration. And then on top of that, you have the cover-ups. Jackie? Yeah, but to point out what Stanley said before, that even if we um, put into place and appoint black leadership into these roles, if the system is broken, like yeah. to the point that you said before, with black police officers yeah. talking about East New York in the way that they have, it doesn't matter, I mean, to a, to a degree, who the leadership is, if they're a person of color or not. If the system is broken, it's going to continue to fail. Just a really quick point. If you're in dirty water, it doesn't matter if you don't swim, you're still in dirty water. Great point. And speaking of corruption um, and and just systematic corruption, things going on, you know, we're talking about Chicago, but we also need to talk about what's been going on here with the NYPD here in New York. So the FBI is currently investigating top NYPD officials and the head of city correction officer unions over allegations that they accepted meals, Super Bowl tickets, international trips, etc., from two businessmen in exchange for providing uh, police, uh, like police details for like weddings, jewelry deliveries, um, funerals, amongst other favors. And I mean, the thing is, when it when it this just makes me think of that saying that police aren't here to protect people like us. They're here to protect the upper echelon, the people with money, the people with affluence and influence, the people that do go out to vote even in midterm elections, to tell you the truth. Um, But, you know, they're protecting them, but they're targeting us. Uh, What did you think about this and FBI investigation. Also. I mean, like, it really didn't come as a surprise to me on one, you know, you have so much of the, what I'll call, like, there's two types of corruption, right? You have the let's stop people, even though we don't have any reason to stop people. And there's no, you know, there's a quota in, but even, you know, we're going to say there's no quota, even though everybody knows that it's true. That's like soft corruption. It's, you know, and then you have like hard corruption, like what we would think of as corruption, taking handouts, uh, you know, for, for political flavors right. or if, even worse there's been some reports that of, of extortion literally police officers extorting businesses out of money in order to tip them off about police investigations into possible illegal activity oh, yeah, that is occurring at their businesses so literally the police officer coming in and saying you know hey um, the police are investigating you and you know so um but if uh, if you give us some money, we'll make that investigation go away. You right. know, like that's like that's some real corruption right there. Yeah. On top of the soft corruption of let's stop every black and brown person, regardless of whether we can come up with a reason for doing it. It's yeah. like so blatantly corrupt that you almost assume like they can't actually be able to get away with that, right? Because it's just so like you said, it's it reminds me of the corrupt. police department in the seventies. Right. It's it's like Tammany Hall. It's like I'm going to pay you off, and you're going to do all these things that I want, and it's going to be this like political machine that's totally corrupt and insane and so we're starting to discover that maybe this is what's happening you know really to no one's surprise in new york city yeah i'm not surprised at all and now these these officers we're talking about are probably some of the better paid officers but police officers in general don't get paid very well to be outside risking their lives and i'm talking to risking their lives and put you know just putting their health in danger every single day they get paid crap so you know what? I'm not very much surprised when someone says I'll throw you an extra four hundred dollars if mm-hmm. you look the other way when I have a couple of underage people in my in my club, or let me know if you if you guys are going to do a sting operation. And, I'm not surprised. And, and to the, that end of police officers not being paid as well, how do you make more money? Well, you generate overtime. How do you generate overtime? Stop and arrest a lot of people that you can't really come up with a reason for why you're stopping and arresting them. Why? Yep. Because let's say your shift ends at six in the morning. Yep. At five thirty, if you make an arrest, guess what? Your shift isn't ending 
leaving at 6. Your yep. shift is probably going to end at noon. You're going to continue to work until that arrest is processed. Yep. The person's brought downtown. You meet with the DA for the initial meeting. So now you just logged six or seven hours of overtime that you're getting paid time and a half. So that gives a perverse incentive. And you know what? I'm the first person to say pay the police more money. And a lot of people in the police reform movement will disagree with that. But I have a, a, a large feeling that a lot of times some of the illegal stops and frisks and arrests that we see are due to the fact that these police officers are like, I need some extra money. I know I could get it, but if I could get some overtime, so you know, I'm going to make this arrest, uh, even if it gets thrown out later on, because that will help my pocket. So you know what? Maybe if we were paying police officers more, they'd have less of an incentive of to make an extra arrest in order to get that overtime, because they'd be making a decent, livable salary as it was. Right. And we are wrapping up the discussion now. Um, Before we talk about the solutions, I just wanted to bring up, you know, that's an excellent point. um, The fact that, like, how this works systematically and how police officers officers are almost like victims of this larger system themselves when it comes to how they're going to pay their rent, how they're going to fill their quotas, um, etc. And the, the thing is, when it comes to people that they're, they're arresting, right, if you're arresting someone at 5 a.m. for falling asleep on the A train um, because they took up two seats right. and that person, why is it always that person, black, brown, from an underprivileged neighborhood? Like, they're that's the least the likely to complain about it. Well, there, there you have it right there. Well, I do want to, you know, just take that and just talk about some of the solutions. I know when we talk about police reform here and Let Your Voice Be Heard, one of the biggest things we're always advocating and pushing for is community policing. And be um, friends with Alyssa. Well, and get a lawyer like Alyssa. Yeah, but people but, say community policing and they have no policy that they've come up with. Like, community policing sounds like a fluffy, nice term, but, like, what are you talking about when you mean community yeah, policing? What they're doing Can you define policing. it? Right, exactly. Right. Like, there's 17 different versions of community policing. So when we say we need community policing, we need somebody to come out there with a plan and tell us what exactly that is. Because community policing could be just as bad as the policing we have now if it's not done the right way. I can tell you what I'd like to see happen. Um, Yeah, tell us. So what I'd like to see happen is in all the community board offices, a list of all the officers who work a certain neighborhood with their photos, their badge numbers, and their superiors listed there. Um, Police officers coming to community board meetings and tenant association meetings, people having easy access to this information or a port of activity that's happened in that neighborhood. And also, if there is a complaint on an officer, the officer is taken off of the beat immediately until you find out what happened. Well, that's never going to happen because of the union. But what I will say is, and this is very unpopular, is that officers should police the neighborhoods where they come from. Like, no offense to people that I knew that I grew up with that are from Long Island. If you're from Long Island, if you're from Westchester, if you're from Putnam, if you grew up or you live anywhere outside of New York City, you should be not able to commute into the city to be a police officer right. and then go home to your nice white suburban home at the end of the night. And you want to be a police officer in New York City, you better live in New and York let me City. tell you something. If you work in city council, that is the law. You have to live in New York City, but it's not the law for teachers and for police officers and for the FDNY, which I don't really understand. Maybe the FDNY, whatever. But like, if you're policing a community you should live in the community and I think that Alyssa brought up a really great point earlier with judges that know the community and give out sentences based on what they understand um, to be problems in the community and I think that if you have more compassion for the people that you're helping to police and keep safe then you're going to do a better job of it my ideal and vision when it comes to community policing is having Officer Joe and Officer Brown live in the neighborhood talk to the kids on the street know them by first and last name know their parents and be, and can say like you know what Miss Johnson your son cut class and you know I, I caught him doing this and so and so and I think that you know when 
when we develop a sense of empathy, when we get involved in these communities and we develop real connections, we'll see that, you know, we have more similarities than differences. Sure. And once you understand that, you break down that barrier of fear. And once you don't fear the other and look at them as other, you'll be less quick to point a gun at their face or their chest when you think that they may be a, a, a potential threat. And I think that that's what it comes to at the heart of the matter. It's about developing a sense of community and empathy and having police officers feel like they're in my community to protect me and they know me and they're not just there to profile me at the end of the month. Absolutely. And on that note, we do have to wrap this segment up. I want to just say thank you for everyone who's been listening. After this break, Alyssa will be coming back with the quickie all about Texas versus Obama. Stay tuned. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I'm sorry if I And we are back. So my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm your legal correspondent. I'm here to tell you about the United States versus Texas, or as Selena put it, Texas versus Obama. But it's not just Texas. It's actually, uh, as when I first looked it up, it was 23 Republican states. But actually, now that I re-looked it up this morning, it is 26 Republican-led states, red states, that are suing the president of the United States and the United States itself. Texas is leading the way. Why are they suing the president? Why are they suing the United States government? Well, they are suing the president because they claim that he has overstepped his authority as the president and that he is acting in an unconstitutional manner. What am I talking about? Well, in 2014, in November of 2014 specifically, the president issued a series of executive actions on immigration. Two of those actions are at at issue in this case. The first one is what I'll call DACA Plus. Now, if you remember, back in 2012, there was a program called the Deferred Action for Child Arrivals. It said that if you were brought here as a child by no fault of your own and you had been here before a certain date, that you could apply to adjust your status so that you would not be deported. Now, that 2012 provision is actually not at issue in this case. In 2014, the president expanded DACA to apply to any child, no matter how how old they were now, because originally it was that you had to be under 18 at the time you were applying. The expansion said, even if you are now 45 years old, but you were brought, I mean, obviously that wouldn't apply because you'd have to still be brought here um, since January 1st, 2010, but it just opened it up to people that were older that weren't eligible because they were too old and they missed the cutoff of the program. So the expansion is at issue. The other part that is at issue at this case is called DAPA. DAPA is Deferred Action for Parents of Americans. What DAPA is, is a program which says if you are here illegally, but you are the parent of uh, an American citizen, your child is an American citizen, that you can apply to adjust your status, which means that you will not be deported or subject to deportation as long as you have not been found guilty or convicted of some kind of crime which would be eligible to make you deported. Now, Republicans got really, really mad about this. They said the president is changing immigration laws. This is this is legislation. The president does not have the right to do this because he is the president and the president cannot make law. Only Congress can make law. And I'm going to get more into that a little bit later on in the segment. But first, there's like an an issue about like whether or not the door is even open to Texas to bring suit. And that is the issue of what we call at law standing. It means Texas has to prove that they have actually been injured in some way or harmed by the president's actions. If Texas cannot prove that they have been harmed by the president's actions, then they actually do not have any standing to bring a lawsuit to begin 
with. And then the case would get thrown out just on those grounds alone without ever deciding whether or not the president has actually overstepped his constitutional authority. Now, Texas, and this is very interesting, is arguing that because of driver's license costs, they are, in fact, being injured. Now, what am I talking about? Under Texas law, people who get deferred action are now eligible for driver's licenses. Now, these people pay a fee for their driver's license, but the fee they pay, that does not cover the entire cost of producing the driver's license. So the state of Texas actually covers the rest of the costs. So what the state of Texas is saying now is if all of these people who are here illegally and now allowed to apply for a driver's license, that is going to put a financial burden on the state of Texas because they're going to have to pick up the tab on all these extra driver's licenses. And that financial burden that they're going to incur is an injury because that's money out of their pocket that they wouldn't otherwise have to spend. And therefore, they are being harmed economically. And that is why they have the right to sue. So that is going to be the first issue that the court has to decide, which is, are they actually being harmed in some way that gives them the right to sue? But getting beyond that, assuming that they pass that test, which is known as a justiciability test, um, we get to the main issue, as I already mentioned, which is, did the president exceed his constitutional authority? Uh, And this comes back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the segment. Is this legislation or is this executive action? Now, the president and the United States of America argue that this is just an executive order and it's just a policy statement about the president's enforcement priorities. And what that means is the president, as the executive of, you know, the he has the right to control all of these executive agencies. And one of those agencies is the ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. And so th- what the president is saying is that he is not changing the law. He is just saying that we do not have the resources to go after and deport all of the people that are currently here in America illegally. So we are going to prioritize certain deportations over other deportations. And if you meet a certain set of criteria and you apply for this status known as DACA Plus or DAPA, we are going to not go after you because there are so many other people that maybe have committed a serious crime or have committed a violent crime or have otherwise done something that makes them more of a priority to deport versus you who are not a priority because you're, other than the fact that you are here illegally, you are a law-abiding citizen, you have a child here who's an American citizen, and you're just not our top priority. So this is just an enforcement decision about who we're going to deport and who we're not going to deport. Of course, these states and Republicans in Congress are claiming that this sets a hard and fast new rule. And essentially, the president has made new law by doing this. He has changed immigration laws to say, you know, that these people are going to be allowed to stay here, even though under immigration laws, technically, these people are eligible for deportation. And therefore, he is now violating the law because he is not allowed to legislate. In addition, they are also arguing that he is violating his oath under the Constitution's quote-unquote take-care clause. There is a clause in the Constitution that says that the president has to take care that all laws are faithfully enforced and executed, and that by him prioritizing the immigration and deportations in this way, he is not taking care. He is violating his oath of office, and he is violating his oath to take care that the Constitution and that the laws of the United States are faithfully enforced because he is saying, hey, you know what, we're not going to enforce this because we don't really have the money. So, eh, you know, these people aren't really a problem. And they're saying that violates the Constitution as well. So what you really want to know is what is the outcome going to be? Well, there are several different outcomes. One, the court can rule that the states don't have standing to sue and they can throw the case out completely. Two, the court can rule that the president's actions are constitutional. If they do that, then 
DAPA and DACA Plus will start accepting applications. Oh, did I leave out? Currently, the programs are on hold because the Fifth Circuit, which is the or the Texas District Court, they put the program on hold. They issued an injunction until the Supreme Court rules. So if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the president, then these programs will start accepting applications and they will start moving forward the way the president intends. The president, they can rule that the president's actions are unconstitutional, either under one or two of the provisions that I mentioned. If they do that, then DAPA and DACA Plus will be dead in the water. People will not be able to apply for them. And the president and ICE will have no choice but to start deporting people that they don't really want to be deporting. Um, Last but not least, and this is the most interesting, which is the 4-4 split. As you know, Justice Scalia is dead. There is not nine members of the court. There is only eight. A 4-4 split would create one of two outcomes. Either one, it would leave the existing injunction in place. The Obama administration would not be able to go forward with DAPA or DACA Plus for now, but it would force this case back to the lower courts to decide and issue a final ruling, which they have not done because they were waiting for the Supreme Court to decide, and then that final ruling could make its way back to the Supreme Court, and by the time it got there... Hopefully, there would be five members or there would be nine members of the court and you would not have a split ruling. In addition, the court could issue an opinion that could allow another circuit to hear the case. And if another circuit heard that case and ruled in favor of the president, then you could you could conceivably have a situation where DAPA is legal in some parts of the country, in some states. And illegal in other parts of the country, which is very similar which what, with what might happen in the abortion case, which I talked about on a previous show, uh, that there could be what is known as a circuit split. So it will be really interesting to see how this case comes out. This is being considered one of the most important cases that the Supreme Court is hearing on immigration. And this is even more of a reason why we need a full nine-member Supreme Court. Yeah, Absolutely right. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for giving us the quickie and breakdown on what's going on. When it comes to President Obama's immigration executive action, we're rooting. I mean, you know, immigrants are, you know, at the Trump rally, a lot of people were screaming, keep the immigrants, deport Trump. Um, But we'll continue to follow this case. And it's another reason why elections do matter. And if you're here in New York, you have to go out and vote. Tuesday is the primary. Our vote, each and every one of us here, our vote does matter. It really does. And Just remember, it really matters because whoever gets elected next, they could get rid of this program altogether. So if it's a Republican, they could say, hey, scratch it. We're throwing DAPA and DACA out. Right. And just really quick on a side note, I encourage everybody listening to check their voter registration status on the Board of Elections website for New York. Make sure you're registered to vote in a primary if that's what you want to be doing. Definitely, guys. On that note, we do have to say goodbye. But don't worry. We'll be back here next Sunday, God willing, here. And we just thank you for hanging out with us again. If you want to check out our archives, listen to the show back or share it with your friends, you can go to LYVBH.com. You can also subscribe to our iTunes channel at LYVBH Radio and listen to us via podcast. We'll see you next Sunday. W-H-C-R, 90.3 FM, New York.